Hi, this is Emily Swallow, and you are listening to the FSF Podcast. The show that lets the Mandalorian earn more bounties by killing our jokes. Our show is brought to you by our charity sponsor, the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund, which supports the Wish Upon a Teen Foundation that helps out sick kids when they need it most. And just imagine the comfort you'll give Red Shirt Crewman number 1138. She'll know that when she puts on the red shirt and joins the armor in a search for the lost tribes of Mandalore, that they didn't leave her family destitute and without hope. Because the Red Shirt Widows and Orphans Fund has her back and what's left of her helmet. Because this is the way. And now, a word from our show sponsor, Level Up Savory. Their link can be found in the show notes. So our guest today is known for her work as Amara on Supernatural, Lisa on Castlevania. Maybe you've seen her as Natalie on SEAL Team, or maybe you've seen her hidden face as the armorer on The Mandalorian. We are so very excited to welcome Emily Swallow to the FSF podcast. Welcome to the show, Emily. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, very, very excited. We've been kind of nerding out about this one for, for a couple of weeks. We're like, oh my God, she's actually going to come to the show. I um, would never. Yeah, we did. Uh, but all of us for di- all of us for different reasons. Uh, I'm the huge Star Wars nerd of the group. So uh, anything Star Wars related that I can get to come to the show, it's like a kid in a candy store. Just like, <laughs> we're going to talk Star Wars. So, Ooh. And I mean, of course, I was excited about the Star Wars aspect. And then I looked at her IMDb and then I did the... <gasps> And she was in that, and she was in that, and she was in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're we're all kind of all kinds of excited to talk about some nerd stuff with you. But before we get to the nerd stuff, I noticed that on some of your social media, you've been posting a lot about your theater work uh, and shows yes. like King Lear and, and uh, I'm hoping to pronounce this one right, uh, Palmyra. From what I understand, you kind of got your your start in the theater work. So if it, maybe I'm wrong, but. If you could explain to us, what is it about the theater work that you enjoy versus television and film acting? And what's been your most rewarding ex- theater experience? Oh, golly. You're going to ask me one of those most questions. One oh, yeah. Favorite well, we... questions. Oh, um, I, yes, I did start out acting in theater. Um, well, technically, I started out performing in choir and singing and doing like cantatas and stuff. Um, which is theater. And I, I, quite honestly, I was, I was very idealistic and I thought, why would I ever want to do anything except for theater? Why would I ever want to do television? Because I love a live audience because it's just so exciting that the thing you're performing is happening and, and the exchange with the audience is happening right there in the moment. It is happening, you know, even though you're doing the same show every night the exchange with that particular audience is only happening that night and it's different every night. And I think that the audience knows it looks for those moments where even though the show is scripted, even though the the cast knows what performance is going to unfold, the audience is looking for those unexpected moments. They're looking for those moments when somebody goes up on a line, they're looking for those moments that are realer than real, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I continue to love to do theater because it's truly where I think I grow the most as an actor, especially because, um, you know, when you're doing television, in my experience at least, you don't have a lot of time to rehearse with the rest of the cast, with the director. You do a lot of the work on your own. I do that work with friends. I do it in collaboration with other people because I hate to be like in a room alone by myself trying to figure out a character and trying to figure out a script. And, you know, there's a certain amount I do on my own, but then I want to bounce ideas off of other people and I want to play with things and and try different things so that then when I show up on set, I'm ready to go. But you spend most of the time making the thing rather than finding the thing in rehearsal and shooting the thing and then final product is is very much up to the you know the director the editor the how 
how it's going to sound with music, how it's going to look depending on which shots they use. And then you don't, you don't know what the audience reaction will be. You don't find out for a while. And sometimes you're very distanced from what your original performance was. And it's a, it's a very curious thing. And I find with theater, you know, having that much time to sit with a character, to sit with a, a script and to, to let it seep in subtly, slowly, um, you discover things that you would never get to discover with the, the compression of time that happens with television. And it's just delicious. And then you get to, you know, you get to try things out in front of an audience and get immediate feedback, which you just don't get when you're, you know, because when you're doing things on camera, you're surrounded by people who are not supposed to react. They have to be very quiet. They have to, <laughs> they have to like kind of ignore you, right? um, which is psychologically very confusing. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so it's sort of a, a, a laboratory, the, the stage, sometimes too much so because um, you can, you also learn that different audiences just have different personalities. Some people, some audiences, because they they the audience will take on the the mood of people around them. And so some audiences may be very, very engrossed in what's going on on stage, but they're not very vocal. But you might, as an actor on stage, you might hear that they're quiet and you might think, oh my God, they hate me. You know, we're so overly sensitive. Um, and some <laughs> audiences, I know that's shocking to hear. Um, some audiences may be very loud and raucous, but, uh, but not really listening that much. They're just responding to like the cheap jokes and stuff. And so you can, you can also get way too sucked into just wanting to get that immediate audience reaction. And it's, it's intoxicating to, to have the audience right there with you. So I love the, the, in the moment learning of it and the, in the moment, exchange with the audience and then especially with uh with these conventions that i've gotten to do i've really appreciated that 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 gives me that it sort of closes the loop of the storytelling for a lot of the television that i do that i don't normally get because i don't have that exchange with the audience since the medium is camera and i'm not sitting there with the audience in front of me um but that's really been the joy of the conventions is getting to have that exchange with the audience finally I love live theater. Live theater is like the absolute best being both on stage. I mean, having been on stage and being in the audience, I love that the give and take that you have. I can't imagine trying to perform to cameras that then it's the, these people are watching me, but they're not watching me. Yeah. Like, that, that would be weird. It's weird. I mean, in some ways it's, it's, it's cool because you do have that freedom to try things without the pressure there's sometimes more freedom because you're not, you're not worried about like getting it quote unquote, right. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, you can try a few different things and then they're going to choose whatever take works best. And that's very liberating. You also don't have to find something that you're going to have to, to, to do repeatedly over and over and over again. Um, you know, so you can find something in the spontaneity of that moment and you don't have to worry about rediscovering it ever again. Mm -hmm. And that's exciting because um, that can be a challenge too. I've, ne I've never done a run of anything that's longer than maybe three or four months, but I look at people who do these shows for, you know, years at a time. And I don't know how you, you find the spontaneity every night. It becomes a different thing. And you talk to yeah. people who've done something for so long that they start to forget their lines because it goes to a different part of their memory and they've had it in there for so long that they they start to forget it. And that's just like, uh, I, I don't think I could do a long run of something. Yeah, that makes sense that would be That would be difficult. Yeah. So we, obviously, this is a nerdy podcast. We're all nerds. But we, we, are, also, we are also dog people. We mm. are pet people. I laughed so hard when I found your dog's Instagram. <laughs> this is Norma Jean. Hi, Norma Jean. Hi, Poppy. I'm Norma Jean. I am Norma Jean, and I am completely unimpressed. This, this is Arthur Miller, and he's Hello, only six Arthur months Miller. old. Oh my goodness! I love the names, by the way. That was Thank one of the you. things I wanted to talk about: is that I love their names because pets deserve the strangest of names. Mm -hmm. 
I have a dog named Zoe Jane. She's named after two characters from Firefly. Love it. I have a cat who is Nymeria Patrice. So she's a dire wolf. And then Patrice from How I Met Your Mother. Interesting combo. I just got that combination. Okay. Yes, yes. Well, because it was the, we named her Nymeria and then she kept howling all the time. So I started yelling, nobody asked you Patrice at her. (laughs) (laughs) Which is just means that it's stuck. And then our other cat is Ernest Fitzgerald. So wow, they just, they need good names. Yeah. And so I was scrolling through your your dog's Instagram and laughing about their names and their interactions. And I am glad that you already showed them to us because that was going to be one of the things that I asked, but what is your inspiration for their names? Cause those are just fantastic. Well, my husband and I knew that we wanted human names for our, our first dog that we got. Cause we just think that that's amusing. Um, and when we got Norma, she had this little white spot right here that looked like a beauty mark. <laughs> um, and so we called her Marilyn for maybe three hours and we decided she wasn't a Marilyn. So we went with Norma Jean, you know, Marilyn's original name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we had a friend who had been begging us to name her Mr. Meatballs, Mr. Meatballs, even though she was a girl. And we didn't we didn't want to go that far, but we did add the meatballs to her name, partly because my husband and I both when we were kids had dogs that had food as part of their names. Mm-hmm. So we thought that we should, you know, pay homage to that. So she's Norma Jean Meatballs. And then We knew at some point we wanted to get her a friend because she's super social, which is great. You know, she gets along. She grew up in New York City. She's been around other dogs all of her life. She she loves other dogs, which in some ways is great, but in other ways is exhausting because on a day when she doesn't get to be around other dogs, she drives us crazy. (laughs) We live in Los Angeles now in in an area called Topanga which is not um, where we don't get out around other dogs as much. So if we can't like take her to the dog run or take her to doggy daycare, she gets really frustrated and, and makes it known. Poor baby. Oh yeah. So we knew we wanted to get her a friend and we quickly decided that if we did get a boy dog, it was going to have to be one of Marilyn's husband. Um, We just didn't know which one. So when we... (laughs) I'm sorry. So there's a couple to choose from. Yeah. So we, and we've been looking at, we, we wanted to get a rescue and we found, we found Arthur on pet finder when he was only, uh, he's only six months old. We just got him two months ago. It's sort of rare to find a puppy rescue. Right. And at the time his name was baby Yoda. Oh, oh, funny. It was like, I mean, come on. This How is do you say no to that? Yeah. The stars and have aligned. Totally. And I think, you know, he just must have, there's, there, there's lots of um, maybe more dogs than usual because of all the dogs that got adopted during COVID that then people didn't want. But his story was that he had been, he had been purchased and then um, the baby of the house was allergic to him. So he was very quickly given up that's hard Um, so we got him from his foster family we did not keep the baby yoda but for a while we were juggling between joe dimaggio and arthur miller and even though he was not a husband of marilyn um john f kennedy was in there just because (laughs) you know going to the dog dog run and being like john f kennedy get over here (laughs) be very amusing Could have called then it was Jack. also sort of sad because you know and there's also jackie kennedy and that would be that's too many sort of a bummer. but arthur calling him arthur just just made a smile so so he Love became it. arthur miller and he's the perfect playmate for her i mean he drives her crazy sometimes because he's a puppy but he mm-hmm. she, she likes to play rough and he is not at all dissuaded he takes a lick in and and Keeps going back for more. Did That's I see funny. too that he scratched her cornea or something too? Did, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I saw the pictures of her with the cone of shame on. Mm-hmm. That's funny. Oh, that's happened. Yeah. They, they play rough and apparently he scratched her eye and scratched her cornea. And so she had on the 4th of July, we had to take her to the 
emergency vet and get her special eye drops and oh no poor, pup. poor baby yeah oh, goodness i don't know I, the names are fantastic and knowing the story behind the names just makes me love them that much more that much That's more. great <laughs> like as soon as you said marilyn you're and i'm like oh right norma jean yeah that makes sense my mom has two cats and they're sure they're cyrano and roxanne oh. but he's cyrano de pergerac Oh my gosh. Yes. That's brilliant. Because he's a black and white cat and his nose is black. So it looks like his nose is much larger than it actually is. I love that. I love it too. And then we found Roxanne on the street as this teeny tiny little handful, like tiny little kitten, upper respiratory infection to the point where her eyes were like sealed shut, running around in the street. My husband put the car in park like, threw the hazards on jumped out grabbed this kitten brought her into the van and Aww. it's like that she weighed less than a pound oh my goodness and was just in the streets in the middle of saginaw michigan i'm like this is this is not okay this is not where a kitten belongs yeah so now she lives with my mom and she's a spoiled house cat <laughs> oh there you go very spoiled house cat so we all have something that is near and dear to our hearts. Is there a project that you worked on that is less known, that is close to your heart? I mean, I feel like most of the theater that I've done um, winds up not being well known. I did this play um, in, I've done a few plays at the Guthrie Theater in, in Minnesota, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And there was a play called Nice Fish that was co-written by um, Lewis Rylance, Sorry, not Lewis Rylance, um, Lewis Jenkins and Mark Rylance, Mark Rylance, the actor. And, um, and Mark directed it with his wife, Claire, and Mark was also in it. And he has for a long time been like one of my bucket list actors to work with. And so I got to work on this brand new play that we sort of uh, helped write as we were rehearsing and there were parts of the show that we improvised every night. And it was just so much fun. I was playing this Norse goddess Freya and the premise, it was sort of like a waiting for Godot of these two ice, these two Midwestern ice fishermen who were out on the ice of a frozen lake on the last, I think it was the last day of ice fishing season. So, you know, they got to catch a fish. And if you've ever been ice fishing, it's... um. Super fast paced. Miserable. <laughs> yeah. And then into their lives is blown this, this hut, this ice hut. And it's, um, a, it, it's a sauna and, um, out walks this, they don't know she's a goddess, but this Norse goddess, however, she's actually been kidnapped by this, uh, sort of redneck. Can you be a Midwestern redneck? Yes. Um, <laughs> All three of us live in Michigan. I'd, we I'd know that they exist. Yeah. I'd go grab my neighbors, but you know, they right? don't believe like, the internet exists. So <laughs> my neighbor's out there with his his big old H3 Hummer. Yeah, they they exist. Fantastic. <laughs> so yeah, he's like this snowmobile and he's also a god, but the it was inspired sort of by the ring cycle. Like because there's this part of the ring cycle where Freya gets kidnapped, but you don't ever know where she goes. <laughs> and so Mark was like, Well, I wonder where Freya went. And um, so it's like these two podunk fishermen and they get tangled up with these gods, but, and Freya is like living with humans for the first time, but really all she wants to do is throw birthday parties and they're on a frozen lake. And like, it's just madness. And it was so much fun. And I was working with like one of the actors that I admire the most in the world and really seeing, I mean, he is absolutely a genius, but I also got to see Oh yeah, he also just like works really hard and is really thorough at like all of the basics that everyone should be doing, but often like just skips over because we think like, oh, but that's so basic, I don't need to do that. And it was just phenomenal. So that that that's something that is near and dear to me for sure. Excellent. Yeah. I think you just identified three quarters of my neighbors, rednecks on snowmobiles. But all right. <laughs> I've been to your neighborhood, so yes. It's pretty accurate. One of the things I love personally about the Star Wars community uh, is the attention to detail when it comes to cosplay. 
Oh boy, and yeah. Some, yeah, some of these guys, and you, you see it way more than we do. So we have a Facebook group uh, right now. It's a, well, just a little bit over 204,000 members. And we have all these memes every day, just kind of, you know, getting, getting, and some of the memes are, or, or pictures of people. Wait, what, in, what's your group called? The Funny Science Fiction Facebook Oh, okay. Group. So you're, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you, we either get uh, memes about, you know, different mashups and sci-fi, or we get pictures of people in their cosplays. And uh -huh. it's just phenomenal. Some of the things we've seen. But with your character in The Mandalorian, uh, the armor has drawn some fans who are really getting into cosplay. Phenomenal stuff. I mean, this, some of it looks like, you know, if, you know, they screen accurate, like they're, they're they got yeah. it right down to the nuts and bolts of everything. And so that's one of the things that I have grown to love about the, the Star Wars community. Even though I personally don't do cosplay, I think cosplay is amazing. And then the lengths that people go through it. So for you, what have, what has been one of the things that you have grown to love about the star wars community oh my gosh there's so much joy um and i you bring up the cosplay and that makes me think of the the 501st and the rebel legion mm -hmm. and the mandalorian mm -hmm. mercs and that has become my favorite part of the conventions now is going to find wherever they're set up um, whoever's representing them and making sure that I get to talk to them and take like a group picture with them. Awesome. And then hopefully getting my little challenge coin and my badge um, and collecting all of those. And um, I had no idea. And it's so incredibly humbling because, you know, I wear this amazing costume, but nothing to do with making it. And you wouldn't know that based on the questions that people ask me about my costume. They sure. think that I know a lot more than I do about it. Um, but I have nothing to do with making it. I can, however, tell people, because there seems to be a lot of confusion about my costume really didn't change between The Mandalorian and The Book of Boba Fett. There's minor, minor differences, but I think people think that there was a whole like color overhaul. So for all of the cosplayers out there who are building the armorer, very minor differences. I wouldn't worry about it. It's the same colors. There was nothing that was like oh, redone really. So you can, you can, if you built one for season one of the Mandalorian, you don't have to redo it. But I love seeing all of the, the charity work that's done and all of that yeah. outreach. I just think that I had no idea that this world existed. And the fact that people, <laughs> I mean, the fact that people are so good at making these elaborate costumes and they're going out and saving the world, I mean, I'm just blown away. And yeah, they're, some, they're so good really at making cool it. They're so good yeah. at making it that then Disney is hiring them to be in shows in their, yeah. their cosplay armor. Like, that's just... They've been in The Mandalorian. Yeah, I thought that was really cool, uh, you know, to have all the, the stormtroopers uh, from the 501st come in and and do that in the in some of the episodes in season one. And I was just like, how cool is that, that your hobby that you have put all this time and money and investment in, the payoff that you get from that is that even though your face may not have been seen, you got to be part of this really super awesome, cool Star Wars thing. And for me, I would be giggling every single day. <laughs> I'd still be giggling. I would just right? be like, I'd be like, hi, I'm Tim. I was in The Mandalorian. Yeah. <laughs> Episode 5, 15 minutes, 17 seconds. That's I'm where I'm at. Stormtrooper. <laughs> I'm the third stormtrooper in. That would be me. Yeah. That, yeah. Any any like elevator speech that I'd ever have to give anytime, anywhere in my life, that would be it. Just here. <laughs> I print it out on a card. You can remember. Go look at it later. So, yeah. And that's, it is the coolest. And like, I feel like those are the best of the Star Wars fans, too, are the ones who have made this world so much of their own and left their mark on it in a in a positive way like you said they're they're putting on this this armor and they're going out and they're doing amazing things with it the number yeah. of times that the 501st visits uh children's hospitals or like they'll um there's yeah. places around here where they'll they're they'll come to hockey games and baseball games and they'll have star wars night at these arenas yeah. and it's like it's it's amazing Such that they, they do it have you it's met have you met the uh, HR officer, Imperial officer yet? No. <laughs> As Emily, because <laughs> oh, she's, she's amazing. So. Yeah, there's a, a woman on TikTok who calls herself the uh, the HR 
Empire, the the Empire's HR officer. Oh, wow. And she goes around ta- and she's like writing up uh, stormtroopers, you know, for all these different things, you know. And she she was at uh, the Star Wars um, uh, oh, celebration, she, and she, she was walking. Yeah, she was walking around celebration, you know. With she had a clipboard, and you know, she's got all. Oh, it's fantastic she is a ton of fun to watch it's genius actually yeah we had uh our very first interview here on 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 the show was with a was with a a cosplayer who does captain rex from the clone wars oh cool and uh extremely screen accurate and everything that he you know everything he was wearing and you talked about the charity work he talked about some of the things that he went and did he fulfilled some a couple of dreams for kids doing make-a-wish type stuff because they just wanted to meet captain rex that was their dream that's what they wanted to do yeah. And, and yeah, then a, he did the, the sexy Rexy calendar too. Which, he did do the sexy Rexy calendar. Oh, <laughs> it's fantastic. It's like, very entertaining. Um, but he yeah. made, he did some charity work with that too. That the, the proceeds for the, from the calendar went to charity work as well. Like it was, I loved that he did that. Yeah. It was pretty impressive. He's a good dude. But playing off of Tim's question a little bit, talking about star Wars, you have now seen people cosplaying as your character. And my mom and I are actually going to be making a Star Wars quilt that has you on it. Oh, like, cool. you're, you're on the fabric, which I think is amazing. So how does it feel for you to have your character be on this merchandise? And do you have an action figure of yourself? Oh my gosh, yes, I do. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> and it's not, you know, people say like, is it a dream come true? I didn't dream for this. I didn't know that I could dream for something like this. Because <laughs> it's just so out there. It's bonkers. It's so weird and so cool. And um, yes, I do have I do have multiple action figures now. Um, it's also that part of it is very humbling too, because these things come out and I don't find out until. My dogs are attacking each other. Um, <laughs> putting Arthur in his place. I don't find out until like one of my friends says like, hey, did you know that this thing exists? Like none of the companies that make them tell me anything about them. And, um, and actually I, I will, there's an exception to that, which I will tell you about. But like the, when the first Black Series came out, I got so excited and I saw it and I, I wrote to Hasbro on Instagram and I was like, Hey, I play the armorer. I was wondering if maybe I could get one and nobody ever wrote me back. Oh, Aww. Um, I mean, they probably thought I was lying, but it's like so separate. That part of it is so separate from like making the show. Mm-hmm. Um, however, sideshow, the company that does uh, the work that does the hot toys, the one six mm-hmm. scale, um, they're amazing. And they, they sent me one of those and they also partner with rock love jewelry. And they sent me um, this gold armor ring that I have. That is very cool. Um, so they've been, nice. they've been really great and they've sent me stuff. Um, and yes, I do. I, I have, I have my own of all those and uh, we don't really have like, a space for all those yet so they're just sort of shoved in little nooks and crannies but it's also i, I, I it's the only thing that i have amara doesn't even have funko does not make any of the female supernatural characters except Which for charlie sad i mean charlie's awesome but that's yeah, charlie sad. absolutely deserves one but it's so weird that nobody else has one which is something that i'm talking to them about right now awesome. um it's kind of nice having an action figure for a character that is masked because then you don't ever have to get into the weird thing of like, does my face really look like that? <laughs> right. It's weird. Well, yeah, especially with Funko, the way they kind of distort the face, the big eyes. And, yeah. Yeah. That'd I'm trying cool. to remember. Wasn't Amara in more episodes than Charlie? I don't know, but Rowena's been in. I mean, of anybody, Rowena should have them. Rowena, Mary. Yeah. Come on. I mean, I, I just want to say, though, that if I had a Funko Pop of myself, it would I first off, I would take it out of the box. Just so that's clear. <laughs> um, but I like any sitting, of your others. The, the rest are kept in their natural captivity. Uh, but I would sit there and just be like, bink, bink, <laughs> bink. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I cannot even imagine having an action figure of myself. That would be that, that is so cool. It's really cool. 
It's like, so <laughs> <weird>. <laughs> but like you said, is he, is it a dream come true? I didn't know this was possible. Like, yeah. how do you, how do you dream for something this bizarre? Yeah. It's not, it's, it's just weird. It's so, it's crazy. It's awesome. And I, th- and I think too, as a kid, I, it's something that I wouldn't have dreamed of either, even though I had tons of action figures and played with, you know, WWE, well, they were WWF back then, you know, wrestling guys and, you know, and all that kind of stuff and GI Joes and things, but I never associated a person with them, you know, just that this was a character. So I wouldn't have thought that, you know, I could be one of those. So I, I can see the the dissociation from that. Absolutely. But you're on, you're on fabric even like, (laughs) that's just, it's cool. (laughs) I mean, it's totally probably incredibly nerdy that I'm making a star Wars quilt, but I think it'll be fun. Well, that fabric is really cool. I have a mask made out of that fabric mm-hmm. and i like that that print yeah i got some really cool ones fabric or do you have multiple different i have other ones i have um there's an original trilogy like stained glass window pattern mm-hmm. that's really cool i've got um rainbow vader heads because that's just funny like yeah it's the vader mask but instead of black it's rainbowed which i think is just pretty <laughs> i've got one that's just got like C-3PO, R2-D2, and Chewie on it. I've got a few. I should have grabbed the other ones, but this was the one I was the most excited about. So when Mandalorian Season 1 came out, we as fans got quite excited about the child. And then we learned the name of the child, which was Grogu. And many fans continued to call him Baby Yoda. So what do you prefer to call him? Grogu or Baby Yoda? I feel like he's never going to get away from being Baby Yoda. And I remember we, as a cast, we were very specifically instructed by Disney PR to refer to him as the child. We were only supposed to call him the child. And I also remember when they just gave up. (laughs) 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 And we stopped hearing that. Because they were like, what are we going to do? People are going to call him Baby Yoda. Forget it. Yeah. At a certain point, I think he's got to kind of steer into it. When when you make something that looks like Yoda and you don't tell us his name, we're going to call him Baby Yoda. We we tend to just call him the baby on on set. Um, Nobody really calls him Grogu. But also no one calls him the child. Call him the baby. Fair enough. I don't know how that started. He's a little older now, you know? Yeah. Right. My three-year-old yells at us if we call call him Grogu. She yells at me that it's Baby Yoda. Oh, wow. <laughs> she is adamant. Get in line. Yeah. She's, a, she's, she's an interesting child. She's the you best. You guys are so screwed. We are so uh. screwed. <laughs> she, she is the child Love that when, when young Leia shows up in Obi-Wan, and I looked at her with the, oh, crap, that's what I'm raising. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. But at the same time, I'm like, okay, I know what, I know what Leia grows up to be. This is good. Huh. I, I am raising a leader. I just have to put up with her until then. <laughs> yes, you do. The not putting out her fire because she's going to need it someday. It's also uh. turning me gray. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> she's adorable, but she's she's going to be a handful. Well, as long as she doesn't tick off some imperial officer, you know, you know planet safe. She's got her own lightsaber now. I, I think we'll be fine. There you go. <laughs> So as we mentioned, Emily, we do have a, a pretty large Facebook group. And a couple of days ago, I put out there, hey, that we're going to be talking with Emily Swallow in a couple of days. Anything that you guys would like to ask of her or say to her? And so I have a couple comments and one question for you. Okay. All right. So the first is from a gentleman named Garrett Nobles. He said, just thank her for us, please. I love her delivery for the character. The pride and strength she displays so subtly just makes the character perfect. Oh, thank you. Yeah, and uh, David Teal says, good job, Emily. This is the way. And finally, we have a question from M.H. Calloway, who says, he's curious about backstory. He said, did you come up with a backstory, or did they hand you one? Or did you just put, out the, put on the armor and take it from there? They did not give me a backstory. And I have come up, it, she, she's so interesting to me, because sometimes I find it useful to give her some history and then sometimes I find it more useful to not really attach her to much 
because she, and, and I've never really felt that way about a character before, but I, I find with her, she is, she is somebody whose personal history, I don't think, at least from what we've seen of her so far, I don't think her personal history matters that much because I think that she is working so much in service of the community and of the Mandalorians. And she is more interested. She's so selfless and she is so representative of kind of their moral center. Mm -hmm. She reminds them of that. She reminds them of where they came from. She reminds them what is important to them when they get distracted by the madness that's going on around them. And in that sense, I think she doesn't really let herself get distracted by her personal history. And so, but I also am not interested in making her someone who's completely emotionally detached from anything. I think that things do affect her personally. Mm -hmm. I think that she's just, you know, she plays things, plays her cards close to the best. So there have been things that I've come up with for her. Some of those things have changed as, as they've given me more information about what's happening with her through the story. Mm -hmm. um, and so I'm very reluctant to share those things. That's fine. Um, but she's, she's interesting that way because I've, I've never, I love coming up with backstory for characters. And um, I find that she is a character very much in keeping with uh how George Lucas wrote, how I think he wrote a lot of these like mentor figures. She's very archetypal. And I think that I learn a lot about her through what it is that Din Djarin needs for his journey. Mm -hmm. So I almost like seeing where it is that, that they're writing for him, where he needs to go. I sort of say, oh, okay, so how can she serve that? Hmm. this must yeah. be what's going on for her if that makes sense mm -hmm. no it does yeah yeah and i think that uh I, I agree with garrett um you know two of the things the qualities that that mandalorians espouse are the pride in their culture and who they are and what they are but also the strength of being mm -hmm. a warrior and i think that you show that very well with her character and and how you know uh, how she portrays herself and how she interacts with others inside of her community and and, and things and and she's very proud to be a Mandalorian and, mm -hmm. and, you know, working, uh, you know, with, with the way. And so I think that's pretty cool. Thank you. And then she makes tiny little chain mail. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I so cute. I died when they showed me that. And when, um, when we were shooting that episode of Boba, Martin on the on the in the props department showed me that little thing and we we weren't quite sure how we were going to shoot the reveal of that and I love how they did it because I think it was great that we didn't know what it was until we saw it with Grogu but we did shoot a scene where I presented it to Din Djarin and I had to fold it up myself and then wrap it <laughs> and so my days of uh, working retail at The Gap came in handy. <laughs> folding oh, technique. my goodness. But it was so tiny. And I was wearing those enormous gloves that John always calls my my mittens. Or, sorry, my oven mitts. Yeah. And so trying to fold that thing with those big, unwieldy gloves was just ridiculous. I, I have to say, I, there was an actual squeal with the that is the tiniest little chainmail suit little shirt I've ever seen and it's so cute and yeah oh, and just like yeah. I, I'm just sitting here thinking about the you actually get to work with Grogu you I yeah. mean he's not just 100% CGI like there, there's there's actually a puppet and, and a robot and that's insane <laughs> <laughs> there's a yeah, whole posse that goes with with grogu that's like right up there with you oh my gosh you have your own you have your own action figure now it's the wait no you get to work with grogu <laughs> that's a diva he's <sighs> such a diva i can imagine <laughs> always stealing people's cookies yeah sometimes he just won't come to set like if his if his eyes are puffy he's mm, yeah <laughs> i can understand i get nice. it so we've talked about one of your other major roles. I mean, 
the armorer is in a fantastic, spectacular role. But on the opposite end of that scale, you have Amara, who is everything the armorer isn't. <laughs> um, so how has your experience been different being on Supernatural as Amara and being on Mandalorian and Boba Fett as the armorer? How, how vastly different are those characters? Uh, well, I can use my face, which is nice. You know, in some ways, both of them, I find to have a, a stillness that um, Emily does not have, which is kind of nice. <laughs> um, I realize there's so much power in stillness. And I think both of them are much more patient with gathering information around them than I am. Amara is much less trustful of the world around her, I think, for obvious reasons. You know, she was wronged very, very early on. Um, so she comes into the series and comes into, literally comes into the world because she's been locked away in a box for all mm -hmm. of eternity, already not knowing who she can trust because the one being who she was supposed to be able to trust did her pretty wrong. So she comes with a huge disadvantage, whereas I think that the the armorer has a great deal of trust for, you know, she, she sort of operates with an assumption of trust. And then if people don't live up to that, then she takes appropriate action. See stormtroopers. And Amara definitely needs some anger management help. <laughs> yes, yes, she does. She could benefit from working with the armorer on that, because that's one of the things that that I love so much about the armorer is that she is so patient. I love that that fight that we got to see at the end of season one was so unexpected mm -hmm. and so necessary. You see what she's capable of, and you see that she really waited to use that only when it was absolutely necessary. And that is something incredibly admirable because you, you know, like that fight, I, I love that scene in, in uh, chapter three when Paz Vizla and Din Djarin are getting all, you know, up in each other's grills and it's about to come to blows. And finally she stops it, but, you know, she doesn't like, she doesn't do it with force. She doesn't get up in their faces. She's very calm, she mm -hmm. uses very few words. And she trusts that that will be enough. The armorer is someone who trusts that there will be enough. And for Amara, there is never enough. Right. And I think that's the fundamental difference between the two of them. And you can you can understand. I also love how they wrote Amara because you can see, and it, it doesn't justify her actions because she acts very rashly. She acts out in ways that really hurt people. But you can see that it comes from a, an understandable place because she was wronged very early right. on. You know, just how you can see the motivations for somebody who acts out in any number of ways. And like Tim and I had the had the opportunity to talk to Mark Pellegrino, to Lucifer. And oh. it's that same sort of thing with the you realize you're sort of sympathizing with this character that you shouldn't be at all but you are because you realize what's happened to them how they yeah. were wronged and the no this is basically childhood trauma yeah coming out as non-functioning adults <laughs> like, yeah yeah that's amara wasn't was a fun character though oh even, i loved her even if she did yeah. get called giant crazy fart but that's <laughs> also just a great nickname <laughs> <laughs> the winchesters have a way with nicknames i love this sure do emily we love stories and humor what is a behind the scene moment that you found hilarious well i mean the whole time when we and I, i've shared this before but that's because it just i think back to it and especially especially like the more comfortable i get wearing the armor armor um, and it is a whole different experience. Like I came back to shoot the book of Boba Fett and I had the experience of having seen season one of the Mandalorian and knowing how incredible it looked. And that entirely changed how I felt in the armor. Whereas I came in to shoot in season one and it felt so weird <laughs> and <laughs> trying to cram. It was like a clown car trying to cram a whole clan of Mandalorians into my my little cave 
in season one to shoot that scene in in chapter three when everyone's hanging out and Din Djarin comes in with his best scar and there's all of us in this dimly lit little cavern and all of us have like this much vision because of our helmets. Nobody can see <laughs> to the sides. Nobody can see down. You know, we've got like, I mean, anyone who's done the cosplay knows you've got like the 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 big shoulders you've got. I'm wearing these big like giant boots, um, and they have. They're trying to make. They're trying to make it look really interesting. So there's all these things sticking up out of the floor. So it's not a smooth surface. There's steps all over. It's uneven. So you're walking around. You're constantly tripping on things. And the armor is supposed to be somebody who walks with grace and dignity and strength. The armor doesn't trip on things. And yet I'm like constantly running into things. And we, there's this tiny little table, a little like tea table or something that I had in there. That, that looked like it was a very sacred table until you get two large Mandalorians in armor who are both trying to sit down at that table at the same time on tiny little chairs. And we realized we couldn't sit at the same time um, without like, like we kept just like hitting our helmets together. <laughs> we're like, oh no, you go first. No, you go first. No, you go. And then we'd hit our helmets again. And then like, I would start to go down and I was like, I don't know if there's a chair underneath me. I don't know if it's there. I hope it's there. I'm just going to keep going. And then eventually I'd find it. And I felt like my, like knees were up to my face. And it was like, I, it felt like we were the three stooges, all the Mandalorians crammed in there constantly awesome. like hitting helmets it was an entirely different genre of show if they'd used like all of those Need takes some of those blooper takes that would be yeah. great that's awesome that was highly amusing especially because it was supposed to be it was these somber somber moments right right serious and somber and yet you can't find your chair all right emily we're at a point in our show where we'd like to take our guests through a little bit of a quiz uh-oh so I mean, yay! This, yay! <laughs> all right, so this quiz is called All About Emily. It's four-question quiz. It's all multiple choice. Now, <laughs> if you get three of the questions correct, we want to send you this book, which is called Custodians of the Cosmos, which is written by our, our original uh, group founder, Drayton Allen. And uh, it's a story about a young man who joins something quite like Star Trek, Starfleet, but not like Star Trek Starfleet for litigious reasons. And oh, uh, after he washes out and rejoins, he decides to become a custodian so he can boldly clean up after those who have boldly just went. Fantastic. Yes. So if you get three or more, three or more questions correct, we'd like to send you that book. However, if you get 50% or less correct, remember we mentioned that, that 200,000 plus group, a lot of memes. We take your picture, we make a meme out of you, and we put you into our group. We call it our fun sequence. Well, that sounds kind of fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have had people who, even though they've won, said, well, can I still do the meme? And we, you know, it's always done in good taste. It's, it's always, uh, you, and if you were to get a meme, you'd be in good company, so. All right. Are you ready to go through the quiz? Ready as I'll ever be. All right. So hopefully these are all accurate because, you know, internet. So here we go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you made your TV debut in 2006 on what show? Was it Guiding Light, Eureka, or Psych? Guiding Light. That was Very correct. good. Number one. All right. Question number two. You made your film debut in the movie The Lucky Ones in what year? 2007, 2010, or 2008? 2007? No, it was 2008. Uh, you might have filmed it in 2007. But... Oh, yeah, see? Internet. Yeah. Yay, internets. <laughs> All right, one and one. You hold a bachelor's from the University of Virginia in what course? Ooh. Leaning. Well, in what leaning. course leaning? Underwater basket weaving, Middle Eastern <laughs> studies, or applied economics? Middle Eastern studies. You really wanted to say underwater basket weaving, right? I really yeah. want to do underwater basket weaving, though. <laughs> All right, so uh, two and one. All right, question number four. Your husband 
won a Tony Award for Best Actor for which of his performances? Lennon, Come Far Away, or Memphis? Well, he was nominated for a Tony for Memphis. He didn't win. The show won for Best Musical. See, internet. Internet. I'm going to blame the internet for that. I got to correct the question. You totally got the question right. So that internet got the information wrong. So you get the win. So that's three correct. We'll send you the book. I don't mind being the subject of, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? A meme. But what's the adjective I'm looking for? Consequence. Consequence. When you're making fun of somebody... The butt of the joke. I'm just going to keep making this gesture. <laughs> As Tim is probably snapping pictures now and using that for a meme. I feel like a cat a little bit. I am so. That's not the point. I'm not shaming. This is going to drive me crazy. Oh, well. The, the you can email me later. Ridiculing. Ridiculing. Hey, I helped. <laughs> I did a thing. I helped. I did. I'm done now. Well, Emily, thank you so much for being on the show today. Where can our listeners go to find out more about you and what you're working on? You can go to Instagram and Biggie Swalls, which is B-I-G-E-S-W-A-L-L-Z. That's also my Twitter, but I got to be honest, I don't I don't venture onto Twitter much. It frightens me. And on, on Facebook, I'm Emily Swallow fans. And I do try to keep up with with messages even you know when they're from people i don't know and respond when i can but sometimes i just don't understand how those messages get organized so i'm sorry if i don't write you back i try it's facebook nobody understands yeah and people should also follow norma jean's instagram because yes norma jean meatballs also arthur miller's on there and we just found out when we adopted arthur miller we were told that he was half boston and half pug but he's pretty big for six months. So I did a, a doggy DNA test and we just found out he's he's 83% pug. And then the next biggest result that we got was pit bull. Oh, nice. And he's like 2% Boston Terrier. So he's not a, we thought he was a, a bug, which was a Boston and a pug. Right. So I was hashtagging him, Arthur Miller, the bug, but he's not. <laughs> but one of the names for a pug pit bull is a uh, huggable. Oh, that's cool. Hilarious. That's fantastic. We will make sure that we link your socials so that our viewers and our listeners can find out what you've got coming up next. Hey, thanks. Yeah. And we also want to remind everybody that subscribing is the single most important thing that you can do to ensure that we get more amazing guests like Emily Swallow here today and have these funny moments for you to be able to listen to. So please subscribe. It helps us to continue to grow, but also go check out Emily's work as well. There will be another season of the Mandalorian coming out. We can't wait for it. We're all very excited and we'll be able to see her more on that. We are sure. But if for whatever reason you are not happy with the content of our show today, please feel free to lodge a complaint with the head of our complaint department, the armorer from the Mandalorian. Sure, she may not come after you personally. She doesn't have to. But she does have all those extra mandos to do her dirty work. Plus, she builds some pretty cool stuff uh, from all that best car. So, yeah, only one copy of your complaint will do the job. She does seem to run a pretty efficient ship over there. And if we ever hear the words from behind us, this is the way. We will know that we have offended someone greatly, and our time on this rock is done. Thank you very much, Emily. Thank you. Oh. Hi, special guest. <laughs> bye. 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 Bye and bye. All right. Thanks for watching, everybody. Enjoy. Bye. On behalf of the rest of the hosts of the FSF podcast, we want to thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to be a guest on a future episode, please contact us by means of Twitter or Instagram using the handle at FSF Podcast or go to www.fsfpopcast.com and click on the contact me link. Thanks again and hope you enjoyed the episode.